0: Ladies and gentlemen, transmitting direct from Lion's Den Studios in Los Angeles, California, Crew S Studios and Danny Productions bring you the Top, tambi- a- a- bringing together motivated artists to share their experience and to pull back the curtain for a first-hand look at a life in the arts. Today our guest is jazz fanatic and world-renowned mastering engineer, Bernie Grundman. So adjust your antenna, relax, and tune in. The program is about to begin. All right, welcome everyone to episode nine of The Conduit, a podcast where I sit down and talk to amazing, courageous people about making a living in the arts. Today my guest is world-renowned mastering engineer and jazz enthusiast Bernie Grundman. Bernie's the man behind classics like Michael Jackson's Off the Wall and Thriller, Steely Dan's Asia, Jimi Hendrix's Electric Ladyland, Carole King's Tapestry, Pink Floyd's The Wall and Dark Side of the Moon, Prince's Purple Rain in 1999, Dr. Dre's The Chronic, and Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, just to name a very few of the thousands upon thousands of records that have benefited from his years and his years of expertise. Bernie Grunman began his path at contemporary records, mastering gems by jazz greats like Art Pepper and Sonny Rollins, and moved over to Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss's famed AM Records in 1968, where he stayed for 15 years before launching his own Bernie Grunman Mastering Studios in Hollywood. Bernie's easygoing demeanor, unending quest to better himself, attention to detail, and work ethic are unrivaled which is why scrolling through his discography can take up a good part of your day. <laughs> Plus, he's, above all, a really kind and humble person who just loves music. So sit back, relax, and have a listen to my conversation with the one and only Bernie Grundman. I'd love to officially welcome you to The Conduit, Bernie Grundman. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, sure thing. Well, And I would love to thank Jack and Chase and Paul for helping line this up and to you for taking the time to do it. Thanks so much, Bernie.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm always ready to talk.
0: (laughs) Well, if we could, I'd love to go back, um, just kind of talk about you getting started in the business. I know just um, from being around you for so long that you have a deep love of jazz. And I I read that you love Clifford Brown and Max Roach and uh, that there was a local stereo shop in Phoenix where you grew up that had a big impact on your fascination with sound. And I'm wondering how jazz records and audio equipment led to your specific interest in mixing and then mastering. How did you first come to understand the two processes? And how did you obtain further knowledge about mixing and mastering at the beginning?
1: Well, in the beginning, you know, I have a kind of a rapport with uh, equipment, for one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was always, uh, uh, and I, fortunately, i i was i was kind of like a young teenager when high fidelity came in in the mid fifties right. yeah and uh actually even l p s didn't come in until the early fifties you know yeah. uh so i had run- only been listening to my dad's seventy eights uh-huh. and uh he had all these big band recordings and so forth right. from the forties and the thirties and uh, uh and so in fact actually this is kind of almost like the second time i was like impressed with something one of the first times was because i'm from minneapolis uh-huh. originally i was born there uh uh-huh. same as bruce rodin actually he was he's from uh-huh. minneapolis he, he's he's uh he's also one of the big uh professional swedes i call him a professional swede because he always plays that up but <laughs> i'm like 70 I, i'm look i'm 70 percent scandinavian myself uh-huh. you know uh so coming from Minnesota, it's a, it's a, a normal thing <laughs> to have yeah. some kind of, so, but anyway, uh, my mother, uh, when I was there, I, 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 my family moved to Phoenix, Arizona when I was eight, but before that, yeah, I used to uh, go to the Saturday movies, okay. which is typical uh, in those days. You didn't have TV, really, or it was just coming in, but this was right. in the 40s. So in right. Minneapolis, I didn't think they had any TV or anything like that. So you'd go to these matinees with a cereal and the cartoons and then a movie or whatever, you know. Sure. But my mother, and, and everybody had a neighborhood theater. Uh-huh. So, I mean, to me, anything like that is fascinating. Motion pictures, uh, the, a theater, and, and this big picture that comes on the screen and all this sound and stuff going on. Right. And uh, so I would go to this thing. Uh, for about twenty cents or whatever on Saturday, but my yeah. mother worked for the theater. Oh, okay. She was the bookkeeper, and she oh, was up wow. on the second. She was up on the second floor or something, you know. And so I would go up after the movie, and I would just be drawing pictures of the theater because I was so oh, yeah. fa- I was more fascinated with the process sure. than the than the film itself. I was <laughs> I was just fascinated by this thing yes. that was creating all this. Yes. So, uh. She, she was looking at me. She says, hey, you know, you're so interested in all this. you want to see the, the projectors and things like that? And I said, well, yeah, you know. So we walked down the hall, because she was right on that floor. Right. Opened up the door, and it was like, oh, you know. <laughs> I mean, these huge, they, you know, those huge arc projectors. Yeah, and I'm just, yeah. You're a six-year-old, seven-year-old kid. And I was, like, just shocked at, yeah. at these big things that were doing all of this stuff. But, see, yes. that's the kind of thing that gets me. I I just, that stuff just grabs me. So when we got to Arizona, I saved up my money even and bought a little, a a sound projector, you know, a 16-millimeter sound projector, and I I was working when I was 14 for a uh, film library, checking Uh films, 16-millimeter films. They ran them in the park and various places because back then uh, I would either go to the movies downtown, the big theater, or I would, I was, I, I wanted to work for the, the film library so I got all these free movies oh, I yeah. could take them home <laughs> and I had right. like Technicolor at home you know in my uh, but I had a projector I could take it apart put it all back together all this kind uh, of stuff yeah and I had a a, a really makeshift a uh, uh, record player that I could play all these uh, records on and I was yeah. starting to buy LPs because I mm-hmm. there was one record store downtown and my dad would take me downtown and just let me off and nice. I'd walk around town and I'd go to this one record store so I was yeah. buying big band stuff. Oh yeah. I was I, but I had just a very simple uh, mono record player and uh, it was uh, i had pulled it out of uh, an old jukebox and I was using oh. the speaker and amplifier from that but it was all just very makeshift very just stuck together kind of system <laughs> but I could play records. Got it. And so I would buy I I did have it rigged up so I could play LP so I would I was uh, uh, buying big bands, you know, like uh, Billy May and Ray Anthony and uh, Benny Goodman was still making records back then in the early 50s, but they were coming out on LP and so forth. But I, and I had one of those, when I was 14, I had one of those Cushman Motor Scooters. Now, a lot of people don't know what that is, but that's those old, those old kind of almost with a uh, lawnmower motor on them, probably, or something, I mean, it it was a big, uh, uh, just a a little, yeah, it's scooter. It's scooter, you know, a just a triple uh, scooter. scooter. But 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 back then, you know, in Phoenix, it was such a small kind of resort town that yeah. nobody even cared that I was 14 and I'd be driving all over the town, <laughs> all over, the, and and all the way home because I we lived on the outskirts. Okay. And so uh, so I would go back and forth in the summer to this film library, work on films and stuff. But uh, one day I noticed that there's there were no there were no shopping malls either. Hmm. but they had put in this small strip mall of about four stores that you just yeah. pulled off the road and just parked in front of them but yeah. it wasn't like a big mall or anything it was just uh, about a line of shops
2: got and it and
1: so but there was wh- there was a sign out by the uh, by the sidewalk that said high fidelity sound systems oh, and i wow. thought really <laughs> and I, and of course i could see in the window that there were all of these speakers yeah uh, just lined up because in those days there were hobbyists and people had built their own cabinets or they would put yeah. together their own systems and there was a lot of that and, and they had just big, big like all tech speakers and things like that just sitting on shelves, amplifiers, right. various things like that. and of course to me, I can't, I can't, I I have to go, I have to actually yeah. see what that is.
0: <laughs> Tractor beam pulled you in.
1: Uh, yeah, it, exactly. I mean, I, there's no nothing I could. I, I knew where I kind of needed to be when I was a real little kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I already knew the things that attracted me, and I was wide open to it. You know, thank God it for just that. Would right? attract me. Yes. So I knew where my passions were. So yeah. anyway, so I, uh, so I stopped in there one day, and I went in, and I'm looking around all this equipment. These, some of the speakers were really big in those days. You know, big cabinets and so forth. Right. And uh, and the guy that owned the place, he sees me looking around, and that's when the Mac 30 came out, the, which is which was very famous amplifier. Okay, uh, yeah. tu- it, of course, it's tubes and all that, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful looking amplifier. But anyway, mm. he sees me looking around at all this stuff, and he says, hey, you want to hear something? And I said, well, yeah, sure. So he puts this record on, boom, same thing as the movies. It's like, yeah. oh, oh, that was it. I, I was shocked <laughs> at, at the sound. I had no idea yeah. you could get sound like that.
0: That's what it's supposed
1: to sound like. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I mean, I, I just was just, it, it, just was so shocking to me how good it was.
2: Wow.
1: That uh, from that day on, all my money went to equipment, <laughs> went, right. went to records, went to, I mean, it, I start, started buying equipment and so forth from this guy and putting sure. in a little sound system in my house.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, so, uh, so, uh, I, the, 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 the die was set. You know i was yeah. i was already kind of on my way and even during that period uh i got to know uh because of the film library a, a guy came in to work as a a, a booking agent for movies okay. and yeah. but he was a jazz musician oh. he was a tenor player and and it, he's also part of what i discovered also after i had my little sound system and so forth i was kind of playing around on drums and stuff yeah but uh but I was at that record store that I was telling you about, and I, uh, I, I was, as I was saying, I was only buying big band records, but then one day I was looking in the, on all these records in the bins, and I saw this record that really looked interesting. And I thought, you know, these guys really look like they're into something. Yeah. You know, it, it, the artwork was nice, and on the uh, back cover was a picture of somebody playing saxophone, and. You know the the, the different musicians the way they do and i thought well i'm just going to buy this to see what it is i have no idea what it is and i thought that that it looks interesting because i was curious so i took this record home and the same thing happened to me to happen to the sound i could not believe that anyone could play like that yeah i mean i was right away i was ready for it i guess but i just was shocked by it, and it was Clifford Brown and Max Roach oh,
3: yeah. uh,
1: studying Brown. It doesn't okay. get any better than that for yeah. Bebop. Right. So, but I was ready for that kind of thing, and I was just <sighs> shocked at, at, at how they play. I, I could not believe people could play like that, because yeah. it was so far advanced compared to big band stuff. Sure. It was just, I mean, the, the ability to get around a horn like that and to play that way and ha- with that kind of feeling and that kind of intellectual stimulation, which is the big thing about bebop jazz, is that it does both. It's yeah. not like blues, which yeah. is great on feel, but you yeah. get bored with it after a while because it doesn't have a lot of intellectual stimulation. Mm. It's nice and it feels good, but yeah. bebop does both. It has the, if you have good bebop, you have good feel, but you have a, a storyline that's yeah. improvised that gives you a continuity. Of an emotional journey yeah so uh so good bebop does that not all of it's that good a lot of guys (laughs) want to show off because they can play a lot of notes and stuff but when you do it right that tune is always in the background but you're looking at it from all these different points of view and 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 they're taking you on a journey of a new exploration a more insight into this one tune yes and so uh any uh, and jazz is based uh, the fundamental thing about jazz is that it's improvising yeah that's what it's all about now everybody everybody has some jazz because as soon as you're singing even and you bend a note that's improvising yeah that's that's jazz but this is the pure stuff this is the stuff where the main thing is uh improvising yeah so anyway aside from that that's kind of the the roots Amazing. So I was at this 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 uh, audio shop. I even worked there for a little bit. Okay. And I I found contemporary records there. Okay. He, yeah. He, he, he brought in because they were sounded so good. They were some of the best sounding records in the business. Yes. And so I started buying contemporary records. So this was my idol. Yeah. And so what happened to me is. Uh, I I was in a position where when I when I got out of high school and stuff, I was playing in a big band. I was playing drums, yeah. but of course that wasn't going to pan out very well. And I, I my family had no money, so yeah. I thought, well, you know, I'm gonna I need to uh, I need to learn. I want to know more about the electronics part.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I uh, I decided I was going to go in the in the Air Force because I could pick the schools and stuff like that. And I scored really high in those days you know they had the draft draft yeah, right. you had to go in the service sure and so i thought well i i would rather go in, in the air force for one thing than the army because the draft was always the army yeah. and and you know at least you'd be in a nice clean bed <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. but but you know it wasn't that exactly but it was like uh i i, I could get some education through that because sure. you, when you sign up you had to go four years right so uh I went to electronics school, uh, wow. I scored high on all of that stuff, you know. so yeah. I went into electronic warfare, okay. and I was working on a lot of jamming equipment and stuff for B-52 bombers, uh-huh. and I was, but I got stationed way up north, right next to Canada, North Dakota, oh. in Montana, uh, okay. a place called Glasgow, Montana, uh-huh. but it was uh, like 50 miles from Canada, mm. so it was like 40 below in the winter. And 100 degrees in the summer, and it was the plains. <laughs> as right. far as you could see, there was nothing. Yeah. But uh, I did I, I took a lot of courses and so forth, things like that. So, but yeah. I, I, that's when I really made up my mind. I said, "Hey, that's it. I'm going to be a recording engineer. I'd always wanted to be one. I had done recordings around Phoenix. I had done, you know some groups and stuff. Uh, sure. around, around the city. I knew all the musicians and so forth. I even after, when I was 19, I even had an after-hours jazz club. Oh, wow. In, in, the, in the Beatnik period, you know, and that right, whole right. thing about coffee houses and stuff like that. I yeah. forgot to say that, that uh, wow. I actually got so far into all of the music stuff and all the musicians around town yeah. that I put in, uh, this friend of mine and I put, uh, had this after-hours jazz club. Oh, and it was man. right across the street from the most popular bar in Phoenix. And at one o'clock, when bars had to close there, everybody walked across the street and go to my place. <laughs> right. And I had Keep this, it going. This, this, nice, uh, this nice, like, classic smoke filled jazz club that went <laughs> right. till four in the morning. Right. And so, uh, and we'd clean up all these bottles every day, you know, from the bushes <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, everybody loved the idea of bringing their bottle. We just had setups.
2: Right.
1: You know, and they would bring their own bottle. So, anyway, so, but, but at a certain point, that kind of was a fad. In Phoenix, mm-hmm. and it lasted about a year and a half, and then I thought I got to do something because nobody's going to help me. Yeah. I thought, well, I so I signed up for that, yeah. And I uh, went in the Air Force, and uh, but during the Air Force, all that time in Glasgow, I I was playing in an R&B band <laughs> of okay. all things, playing yeah. drums. So I was okay. doing music, but but I I, I decided, you know, I'm going to become a recording engineer. I really want to be a recording engineer, and so. Yes. I'm way up there, and I jumped in my car, and I went across all the way to Seattle to visit some relatives, then I came all the way down to Hollywood, I parked mm-hmm. my car out in front of Capitol, I walked in, and I went into the head of recording, I said, okay, what do I have to do? And the guy go- was very noncommittal, he says, well, uh, I, I said, look, do you think I ought to finish my degree in electrical engineering, should I go back to Phoenix and blah, 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 "What I said, what, should, what, do you, what would be the best thing to do? He says, well, that might help, and uh, he, he's very noncommittal. And I thought, yeah. well, what, you know, I'm, he's not going to do anything for me right now. So I, I went back, and I was living with my mother, yeah. and I signed up for all of these math courses and stuff so that I could get the jump on it. Sure. Because that's easy for me to do. The math part's easy. So, uh, but when drummer, I got there, drum, I, I thought... A
0: natural drummer. You got great timing. <laughs> Great <Yeah>. with numbers. <laughs>
1: so so anyway so uh, anyway I uh, I knew about this uh, place in in Phoenix the recording studio that was the most popular. There was, it was at when I knew it. It was just in, in, built onto a house. Okay. And it it was yeah. And so I I even had them cut on a real cheap uh, disc cutting machine some stuff that I had recorded around town so we could make a little album and so forth. Oh yeah. But they, but when I got there, I, I thought, well, I'm going to call them up and see what they recommend I do. Yeah. Maybe I can work there, maybe something. So I called them up, and I said, you know, I'm really interested in becoming a recording engineer, but I need some advice yeah. on, on just how to go about it. And I knew the guy that owned it. He didn't know me that well, but he said, well, you ought to talk to Roy Dunan. And I said... Roy yeah. Dunan. Yeah. He says, Yeah, uh, he works here. And I says, I know who Roy Dunan is. He's the so guy that did all, all the Contemporary, contemporary records. records I bet. He even ran Capitol Records in the oh, 40s. Okay. Yeah. He was a chief engineer there. He, wow. was, he and Howard Holzer at Contemporary built the first stereo disc cutting system on the West Coast. Wow. They made the cutter head work. They wow. had come up with the cutter head, the stereo cutter head, but they hadn't figured out how to make it work at Westrex, and they wow. made it work. Wow. but anyway they were they were brilliant in every area though it was the yeah. old school where they could build it they could design it they could they could he was one of the best mixers he was yeah. one of the best tape editors in the city roy was like and i thought i'm coming right down
2: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so i came down so. and i and they, they and now they had a new building too they could fit almost in their main room a symphony orchestra and i thought oh. wow i says look i got to work here I yep. said, I don't, you don't have to pay me, I, 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 Roy's here, I, I, I really need to, I really want to, I was like, <laughs> about will bring the faint,
2: yeah. and,
1: and I said, I can clean your toilets, I don't care, yeah. and, and he says, well, uh, yeah, you could come down, and so I started going there after classes and various things, and I started hanging out with everyone, oh, yeah. but but the interesting thing is this, I, ca- I came in uh, one Monday. And uh, they had two cutting systems there, too, two because yep. they were all, it was all discs then. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, so I, I came in Monday, and Roy said, Roy, Roy Dunant said to me, he said, uh, well, you know, Ra- Howard Holzer was here this weekend. I should have told you that he was coming in. He says that he would be interesting to talk to. I know you want to know more about what's going on in the recording industry in, in L.A. and various places, because I used to jump in my car and go over to L.A. and just get the vibe and then come back. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, so he he said, well, you know, Howard is uh, is only building equipment now, cutting systems for other people, and all this kind of stuff. He has a whole shop in Van Nuys. Okay. And and he's, and, and uh, but he could probably give you some good advice and so forth. So I hopped in my car and I went there. Yeah. So I I here I walked into his shop. Now Howard's kind of a rough type guy in a way okay. like a bull in a china shop but he's a brilliant guy too he can design all this stuff as well as they work together he and roy yeah. work together so i walked in there and i've got a suit and tie on and here uh-huh. he is with a t-shirt a soup pan eating his lunch soup <laughs> in front of me with this soup pan and so okay. so i said gee you know howard i i i wanted to introduce myself because I wanted to learn more about the recording industry and, 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 and how to get uh, uh, into, into actually working in it. He says, he said, oh, he says, he says, yeah, Roy told me all about you. He said, you're really terrific. And I says, really? I said, <laughs> he says, yeah, he says, I says, well, gee, he says, hey, at Contemporary, they don't have an engineer there right now.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Why don't you get the job? And I says, yeah. hey, I've only been working with Roy in, in, in the studio for three or four months. I don't know that much. I'm just winding cables and yeah. putting microphones away and setting things up and and he says look he says if you love your work you'll find a way wow and i thought wow yeah what advice so <laughs> yeah. i i said well gee you know that's that, that, thank you for the advice so i hopped in my car and i drove back to phoenix oh wow and and so i i i got to thinking i got to thinking you know i was at the at audio recorders was the name of the place and i i, I got to thinking I, I was looking at the cutting systems i was watching roy all the time and i was thinking you know i can do this yeah and i thought you know i, I, I it, it's no problem because i'm so focused all the time on stuff sure. like this it's no problem for me so i thought you know i'm gonna call, I, I i thought well i'm gonna call up howard this was like in february or march or something and i'm in going to school and all this stuff so i called up howard and i said Howard look, I get out of summer school in August, uh, do you think he could get me an interview with Lester, the, I mean the guy that, you know, got Contemporary Records, the guy that owned it? Yeah. And he says, oh, he says, no problem, I'll be happy to get you set up with that and all that. He says, well, yeah, well, it'll be it'll be in the first part of August or something like that. And he says, oh yes. great, no no problem. So I didn't right. think anything of it. I'm going to school, I'm going to school, and so it gets two weeks before I get out of summer school, and, I'm, and it's August, and I said, gee, I hope he remembered. I don't know whether he did, I had not talked to him since. So I called up Howard and I said, Howard, did you by any chance get that uh, interview with Lester? And he says, Oh, I got you the job. When can you start?
2: <laughs>
1: wow. I said, I said, I said What? I, he <laughs> said, Yeah. He says, I said, says, Well, look, I'm out. I, I'll be out of classes at the end of the week. And I said, And I jumped, jumped in my car and I drove right over there. Wow. And, 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 and so he said, OK, let's go over to see Lester. I want to introduce you to Lester. So I went over oh to see gosh. and met Lester. He's sitting in the cutting room and all this. And, and, and Lester says, hey, Howard says you're terrific. He says, I don't need to know anything else. When can you start? Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> is is wow. this an American story or what? That's amazing. This is such an American story. Surround so yourself
0: I, with people who are enthusiastic about what you're doing and, well, and good things are going to happen. that's what I
1: tell people. Look, just show them that you're really that interested, you're, yeah. that, you're just, that you're ready to die for it practically. <laughs> that's you know? amazing. And so, so it's like, it's like uh, so here I am in September yeah. with my car and a trailer with all my equipment and stuff and I'm driving to L.A. <laughs> and moving wow. into a, an apartment. <laughs> yeah. wow. oh so anyway, gosh. that's my background. That's why I got into it. That's why I'm yeah. in it and I was kind of always in it as a little yeah. kid even, fascinated with my dad playing seventy eight records. You know, yeah. all the way it's just it's been uh, a, a real easy passion for me to know. Yeah. And and I really feel for story for people that have been sidetracked by their yeah. parents or whatever, you should be a lawyer or a doctor, or whatever, and they don't really care about it. Right. And then they're unhappy. They yeah. might have money, but so what? Yeah. Money's only good up to a point. It, right. it, you need to take care of yourself. That's yes. important. Yes. You don't want to live off everyone else. But right. after that, you should be doing what you're passionate about.
0: Yeah. It's going to keep you positive and keep you moving.
1: Yeah. Hey, look, I'm I'm 81 years old and I'm still yeah. enthusiastic and excited about this business. And I love and, it. You know, the the thing is, if you can touch on, if you're in, working in your passion area, yeah. you're never going to run out of energy.
3: <laughs> yes, that's because what i you're,
1: you're you're connected, you're connected all the time. You know, right. to the important stuff. Right. So yes. uh, this is my advice to people. Oh,
2: you might maybe you
1: don't even want to be a recording engineer if you're yeah. not willing to put up with the the tediousness of it and and the redundancy of it and be uh, and yeah. going over things and over things and testing and and improving and doing things. If you're not willing to do that, that these uh, very uh, minute things that you might not even think are important they're important to the artist you're yeah. there to serve the artist and the music yes and 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 your uh, job is to get on their wavelength even yeah you've got to get you've got to actually interface with with what their music means to them right and and then you have to be able to feel the same thing yeah. which means you can't be prejudiced right you know, so I, I look I, when I was a teenager. Of course, I knew everything, <laughs> right. like everyone, uh-huh. and uh, it was all bebop and classical music for me. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the rest of the stuff I wasn't so interested in. Yeah. But through the years, I've realized that it all has a place. Yeah. And it all can do a better job at whatever place it's going to be, like if you're doing dance music or. For parties and stuff, yeah. if the guys that really believe in it can put out a thing that makes people want to get up and dance. Yeah. Because they believe in it.
2: Right.
1: You know, if a jazz man condescends to it, it might not come out very well. Yeah. But the guys that really believe in it, that's where they are. It might be a narrow area that they're trying to access, but it has a place. Yeah. And I always use the example when you're at a party, do you put on a classical piece of music?
3: Not usually.
1: Not usually, <laughs> yeah. no. So you want people to, you know, be uplifted yeah. in a in a different way, in a rhythmic way, and it's you know something, uh, and that's not too, that doesn't require too much involvement in a way, yeah. just feeling, I just agree, strictly yeah. feeling for you know just, just feeling uplifted or whatever you're trying to do at the party. So, yeah. uh, or 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 when I'm in an elevator, I want elevator music, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to take a big emotional journey like. uh Sure. Write a spring by Stravinsky. You know, I don't. <laughs> sure. I don't. You know, we don't. We don't have time for that. You know. Yeah. So uh, you time get to place. this point where you go. You know, it all has a place, even if it's yeah. polka music. It right. doesn't even matter. Yeah. Because there's, look, the human. Uh, music is the expression emotionally of the human experience, yeah. and we all are the same. We all have the same emotions. Yeah. And I tell my seminar people, I says, look, there's no reason, why you can't get on get in touch with whatever music you're working on and being able to feel what might help it connect better emotionally with the listener if you're not prejudiced right if you're willing to say okay what would make this thing really communicate with me emotionally better yeah and then then you might have an idea of how to manipulate the sound yeah because other than that I tell a lot of the people in seminars I'll say look here you are, a guy brings in a tape, you don't know what the music is, you put this on or you put the digital on or you, the file on, yeah. how do you know what to do? You put the music up, how do you know what to do? You're sitting in yeah. front of the console. you have all these controls, you have all these things you can do, right. how do you know?
2: Yeah.
1: You have to have an idea of what's going to make this better, yeah. and you won't know if you are making it better unless you can feel it getting yeah. better, right. it's, all, it's strictly an emotional connection that music gives to people. That's why it's so important yes. to everyone. Yes. Uh, music is, is, is a very direct, uh, and it crosses all boundaries uh, emotionally. <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of person, what kind of music, you should be able to get on that wavelength yeah. if you spend time with it. And, and, uh, and, and the thing is, it can be developed. It can be. This kind of thing can be developed, but you need to spend time listening to all these other things. And what yeah. you need to do what you need to do is you need to hear it, it'll start showing up. Say you're listening to just hip hop. The really great hip hop records are gonna you're, you're going to start noticing them. Yeah. If you listen to enough of them, the ones right. that really grab you. Right. You'll realize, wow, this one. You, that now you have an idea of how good it can be, or how right. well it can communicate. Right. When you get the best of them, so you right. need to experience the best of almost everything, uh, to kind of prime yourself. So right. when somebody brings in one of those, yeah. you know what the best one sounds like, and can you make that one do similar things to you that that right. best one that you know about did? So you have a you have a, a direction, you have a benchmark in a sense of I what the best that. of that would be. Right. So, so uh, it, it it just takes a, a kind of like a certain kind of experience. Of just being around it a lot and listening to a lot of music and a lot of different music to make it easier for you to access it emotionally right so uh talking that, with that the artist
0: be, i would assume plays a big part in kind of trying to figure out what your well, what their goals are
1: well absolutely because uh, uh a lot i can i could take a recording
2: yeah,
1: and i could make it go in the wrong direction right and it's not that it isn't valid it might be valid for me but is it sure. valid for him i'm trying to help him realize his dream right so I, I, I usually have a pretty good idea of what they're trying to do because I've heard their kind of music before and I've heard, yeah. really, so I kind of have a pretty good idea, but yeah. but still I have to, uh, it's always better to kind of have feedback back and forth from the artist or the producer, and so, because you, you can be sitting there, I, it even happens to me, uh, yeah. like I've been in it a long time and I have a pretty good idea of what to do. but. I'll have an artist or a producer say or even the engineer will be there and you say, "Hey, let's try a little bit of 5k on this or something." And I'll think yeah. to myself, "God, that's not going to work." You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just you just but I think but I've always been of the mind of, "Hey, you know, I better I better try, try this."
3: Yeah.
1: And so I've tried it. Sometimes it works and it's better. Yeah.
3: I'm with yeah, you on so that. I, tell,
1: yes. I I have to admit you, you you have the main thing is is that I don't want to get such a big ego that I won't do it. Right. that I won't try something that somebody wants me to try.
0: It, it could be the new amazing sound that everybody that comes after follows.
1: Hey, I'm I'm only interested in satisfying them and the yeah. music. Right. I'm not just trying to make it look like I'm the one that came up with the thing that made it good. Right. I, I'm trying to, we're all trying to get to the same place is what it amounts to. We're all trying yes. to get to the place where this thing is communicating emotionally the way they envisioned it. Love and it. you never ever get hundred percent of what you envisioned because it's so complicated it's so difficult to record and mix and do all of this stuff you're never gonna get there and that's the beauty of it (laughs) the beauty of it is you're gonna have to keep doing it over and over again and get (laughs) it but you'll get closer and closer because you keep learning more and more like a mixer does that too you keep learning more and more about how to get this and how to get that because you kind of have a vision of what you want but you never quite get there
0: right (laughs) and then you you, and get then you get there and you make asia or you make uh you know off the yeah. wall or thriller yeah. or whatever it might yeah,
1: be and right yeah <laughs> you
0: reach that pinnacle you know
1: yeah well and you can even go further than that i mean you know yeah. you're always looking for something that just when people hear it, it just connects with them emotionally it yeah. just gets right to them right and so it's it's like writing the great american novel or anything you know it's like uh you're just trying to just uh connect with people and get yeah. your music, your message across.
0: I love that, I love, I I've, I've, I've found a great interview with you uh, with the Red Bull Music Academy, and you were just talking oh, yeah. about what mastering was, because a lot of people, they hear the word and they're like, I know it's kind of the final thing you do after mixing, but a lot of people just don't know what it is. And I love that you're talking about, um, just enhancing it to the point that it makes that emotional connection, working with the artist to find out how to realize that. That's yeah, your job, exactly. yeah. how to present it to yeah. consumers. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, because a lot of people, I even say to people like, uh, they're asking me what mastering is. I say, well, you know, it isn't just to make things loud. Yeah. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> a lot of people think when they hear somebody that's mastered something, it's usually louder because it, that's, right. that's the commercial aspect. You're just trying to be competitive and not sound too, too different, uh, just level-wise, when you play things one after the other. Sure. Because really, what the, the, the real truth of the matter is, is that if you're, if you're really, uh, and everybody's on this level thing, trying to get things where you get you, you want to get noticed. Yeah. You, know, you want somebody to put your record on, or your CD on, or your, or your weather streaming on, and it jumps out and it gets people's right. attention. Right. Right. it's so hard to get people's attention nowadays, I think. <laughs> yeah, a lot but of music out there. So if we do things that are, uh, if you do in, in the commercial world, the real pop world, if we do yeah. things that are too low in level and too dynamic, yeah. Uh, and uh, people plen- tend to play things on a playlist,
0: mm-hmm. so
1: what happens is yours will sound a little bit lower and they'll think something's wrong with it, when all along, if you raise the level of that one, it would sound better. Yeah, yeah, right. But you don't but people don't do that now when you yeah. the, the the this whole new thing of vinyl now yeah. means that we don't have to use so much processing mm-hmm. that degrades the sound anyway yeah so what the thing about vinyl is is that it's a, it's a it's something you're starting from nothing in other words you have to take the record out of you have to put it on the turntable you have to yeah. go through this ritual and now it's been silent yeah. So now you play it, you're going to set the volume where you want it. Right. And you're going to pay attention. Yes. You might even get something out of the music. More you're involved so than you ever in have. the
0: experience.
1: Yeah, you're involved in it now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a whole new world. These people are saying gee, you know, we're getting together and listening to records. And I'll say, oh, really?
0: That's great. <laughs> yes. As it's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that, that, that's one thing vinyl's done. You know, a lot yeah. of people, and, and they love that. It's kind of like titles in a movie. It's yeah. not just some list of tunes. It's like you got the picture of the artist. You open it up or whatever, and you've got all this information. You've got pictures of the session, maybe. It yeah. kind of primes you. Yeah. To get into what's going to happen, right. So, uh, it, so from that standpoint, you know, uh, it's a it's a beautiful product. Oh man. However, the one thing about vinyl is, though, it's really really difficult to make a good record. Hmm. It's not. So? It's Expl- not like it's not like CDs,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where CDs almost anything you have, you can put on a CD. It doesn't yeah. matter about the energy or anything like that. You only have one limitation in CDs, and that's peak level. That's the only limitation. Now, it does have a sound that a lot of people don't care for. Yeah. It's a little more metallic sounding, or it's a little edgier sounding because of the sampling rates and stuff like that are low. Right. And so it doesn't really track high-end as well as, as say, even a disc. Yeah. But uh, to get a final pressing, because it goes through all these stages that's quiet and doesn't have noises and very because it's very mechanical it's very primitive vinyl yes. series, it goes all the way back to edison yeah the, the, the whole principle of it yeah. and so uh it's come a long way and it's amazing what's in to in a groove you've got two channels yeah. full frequency <laughs> it's crazy. response yeah. full frequency response you have all of this stuff it's very advanced in that yes. way Yes. But there are some inherent things that are still there that you can't change. Whereas a CD changes speed from inside to outside. It starts from the inside and ends on the outside, where mm-hmm. a disc starts on the outside and ends on the inside. Right. But it goes slower, but it changes speed. Yeah. When it, The linear speed keeps going slower and slower and slower until it's one-fourth of the speed of the outer edge going <laughs> by the cartridge. Right. So that information now has only a fourth amount of space for Revolution to get the signal in. Right. So the, the, the density is so great that you lose quality. The playback yep. cartridge, because it's all mechanical,
2: yeah.
1: unless you have a $10,000 cartridge or something, or some really <laughs> special souped-up thing, yeah. it's a big moving target vinyl. And a right. lot of young people don't know this. You can't just grab it and handle it and put your fingers all over it. and and get yeah. it all dirty and full of dust and <laughs> pretty soon it won't play well, it'll sound noisy, because it, anything in that groove you're going to hear.
2: Totally. <laughs>
1: so uh, so it's a real delicate thing. It can sound great, Yeah. but you can't use, like audiophile stuff, we do a lot of audiophile recordings, but those yes. are like, one album is on four sides. It's at 45 RPM, the faster right. the better. Right. We only use about two-thirds of the record on each okay. side. we try not to use going toward the label and so we can make a pretty good record uh if we do that but those records are selling for sixty dollars a piece or something and some (laughs) of them are a hundred dollars a piece yeah so uh yeah it's 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 uh it's one of those it's a real hobbyist uh thing because you could spend all your money on records (laughs) and equipment and turntables and cartridges (laughs) and. I mean yeah, it's endless. I mean it's like yeah. it's really good for somebody that's a real audiophile or somebody yeah. that's really into it because yeah. it's beautiful equipment and all that. Yeah. But but you can buy a cheap C D player and you get pretty much most of it. Yeah. So I, I, I've always I, I, I it's kinda of odd that everyone just assumed right away that vinyl was better. And it's not. Yeah. Necessarily. It's yeah. not it, not unless you spend a lot of money. Right, but it, it's 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 certainly good anyway. But but the thing is, the best all-around format I think are CDs. Yeah, okay, because they're yeah. versatile. You can take them; they're small. You can take them anywhere. They have the booklet. They have the information. They have the pictures. True. They have the artwork. They have they have everything that the LP has, except the LP can sound more natural. Right. But other than that, uh, it, it's really a, a handy little thing. You can just throw it on. You don't have to worry about it so much. You don't have to put a mask on and gloves and. I mean, you know, you have <laughs> yeah. to, you know, I, well, I mean, you don't have to do that, but you have, you have <laughs> yeah. to, you have to be careful of vinyl, though. You have you, to. Be, absolutely, you absolutely, yeah. You have, be, you have to be, yeah, but, uh, but that, but then it's a nice collector's item because yeah. they're beautiful.
2: You they know?
0: are. Uh, you keep good, good care of them, and uh, you know, yeah, clean them, all. and have a decent setup. They, there's nothing like it. It's such a warm, yeah, yeah. All, you yeah. Know. Like you were saying, just sitting there looking at the cover. It's, it's an experience when you sit down and look at the credits, see who's on it, look at the artwork, and you're listening to it. You know, there's just a lot of depth to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You no, know, sure.
1: you're right. No, it's, it's really, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: Have you heard this record yet, by the way? The Pharaoh Sanders with Floating Points?
1: No. Oh, uh-huh. my
0: God. Such a beautiful record. Pharaoh Sanders with, uh, L, uh, with the London Symphony. It's just oh, a beautiful record. Oh, like that. Oh. Well, that's it. Oh, my God and this artist called Floating Points, who does like, uh, you know, programming and stuff. But it's this mixture of new technology with Pharaoh playing tenor over it, and it's just, oh my goodness, beautiful, beautiful record.
1: Very interesting, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if if everything's done right, uh, yeah, it, 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 it can really be quite good, vinyl yeah. can be. Uh, but a lot of what's going on that I don't like that happens from time to time, not not everybody does this, but. Uh, sometimes you don't know what you're getting. You buy <clears throat> a vinyl version of an album that you like,
2: yeah,
1: and and a lot of times that's actually the CD file that's right. being cut right. on the disc.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: and and it's going to be it has to be worse than the CD then,
3: yeah,
1: yeah, because it's gone down a generation. It's yes. gone on to vinyl. Yes. vinyl has a little bit of trouble with uh, uh, some digital signals because digital yeah. signals because of the sampling rate and so forth sometimes the high end is a little has a little more edge to it Mm -hmm. Uh, in other words it's more transient
3: yeah
1: and uh and and that's a little harder to track uh for playback you because the cartridge it can respond to a square wave but it's kind of hard for a, a mechanical stylist to really access something that has a quick change Right, and so you tend to get a little bit of a fuzzy, distorted sound sometimes on the high end when something that's really bright. Yes. Uh, so, so we have to be very careful. We have to, uh, before we cut a, a master, we have to go through and we have to check and see how well it's going to track on a on a pretty good average player.
3: Yeah.
1: And we cut, we do test cuts, and we do just to see how well it's going to pick up the high end, because that's where the problem is. Yeah,
0: that's interesting because not everybody has a you know a super duper uh, audiophile setup. So you gotta that's right. You gotta keep in mind like this is gonna be for the average consumer who has maybe a little, you know, Stanton you know turntable or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are not gonna make it for Urban Outfitters, the 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 little hundred dollar player. We're not gonna make it for that. We're, that's dumbing it down a little too far. <laughs> yeah, because they, Thank they you. practically make a new record when they play it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cutting, a, cutting a new record <laughs> exactly so uh, you know so but they they are delicate i mean they wear out yeah. you know right. if you if, if you have a heavy cartridge or old you know the stiff stylus and you know yeah. so you should you should be paying maybe 300 dollars for a cartridge yes so yeah. something like at least that much but yeah uh, so we have a we have a good all-around cartridge that we test everything on and if we think it's on the borderline we, we have to put in high frequency limiting and various things to, to keep it a little uh, down as far as energy. And yeah. it's all it sounds like. You can't really tell it's being done. But if you get too much high frequency stuff, information, uh, that's what's going to, it causes it to not to keep good contact with the groove. Mm-hmm. And so you get a splattering sound. Yeah. So we, we, we if we were on the edge of that, we want to just, uh, have it so it tracks better you might not even notice we've done anything yeah. but we're making it track better on most players right so this is it's a whole process that and then all of the stuff it goes through with the plating and the, the type of vinyl and the I mean uh, all these pressing plants yeah I could line up uh, a disc the same uh, masters uh, that we would send yeah. to three or four or five different pressing plants and they'll all sound different
3: right right
1: uh some are better than others some plants the the ones in germany are really hard to beat Mm. yeah there's yeah so uh if you can get in there but i mean it's uh uh i mean there there are very few that 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 i've had actually test pressings back where you would you wouldn't even know it's a a disc a vinyl wow
2: Wow.
1: i mean it's it's it still isn't it's never as good as uh, as good as the lacquer it's never as good as what we send them. Yeah. The lacquer is really incredible. I mean, we can actually cut now, just about anything you would give me. Yeah. A, a digital file, an analog file, and we cut it and play it back simultaneously because we can for calibration. Yeah. yeah. So it's cutting it, and then the next rev, uh, just a half revolution away is the playback arm and cartridge, and we can A B between what we're sending it and what we're getting back, and mm. you can't tell the difference
3: wow
1: absolutely it's almost impossible to tell any difference that's wow. how good our system is wow
3: yeah
0: well.
1: now when it comes out of the pressing plant yes
3: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> it never right. sounds it never sounds exactly like what we sent them
0: speaking of where did you learn to cut lacquers bernie same thing just jumped in yeah wow yeah
1: well yeah i i hung around the when i knew that i might get a job at contemporary i yeah. was like like glue on roy dunan Right. And I started, uh, you know, practicing on their cutting systems in Phoenix, in yeah. And so I, I knew I knew kind of how to handle the whole thing. And I, I could also go into contemporary and say, well, this system isn't like what I'm used to. Mm. You better show me a few things here. <laughs> right,
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> so, it, so it
1: gives me a little, a little uh, cushion there.
0: Roy, it so, seems like uh, had a real big impact in your career for sure, absolutely, yeah. Oh,
1: well, because all of those, some of my favorite and best sounding records when I was a teenager were from contemporary. Yeah. Uh, it was very hard to beat contemporary records.
0: Did you ever go, I know Shelley Mann played on a lot of those records. Did you ever go to his, uh, Shelly's Manhole back in the day?
1: Yeah, I, I went there, yeah. I, I yeah. used to go out to the lighthouse even.
0: Oh, really? Nice. You know, the
1: lighthouse on Hermosa Beach. Yeah, yeah
0: sure. Because
1: sure. I, I would come to L.A. and I would just go out there because, I, you know, it, it was a fun place to go. Yeah. And even the Shelley's Manhole, I would go there, too.
0: My dad used to play at the Lighthouse sometimes when he came out here for the first time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, another big club that I went to a lot was Dante's.
0: Oh, yeah, right. Dante's. Out, out in the yeah.
1: valley. Everybody, all the studio musicians were there, jazz guys and so right. forth. It was a lot of fun. There were a lot of clubs like that at one time. Yeah. But that's jazz for you.
0: I collect the roster of the artists, like from the papers, and it's just like every night is incredible. Cal Jader, yeah. Gabor Zabo. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, sure. It's just nuts. No, no everybody so was
1: around then because yeah. it was, it was just more, uh, more popular for some. You know, jazz is always that way; it goes up and down and up and down. But yeah. see, when they got into the avant-garde stuff and so forth, yeah, I, I think they lost a lot of listeners. Right. You know, because I I'm, I prefer. 50s and early 60s uh, bebop jazz. Same with um, me,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, because, because the thing is, I think there was, uh, what's, what's been lost a little bit, uh, it's not that I don't like a lot of the stuff that's out now or that's yeah. been coming out over the years. It's, there's a lot of good players out there and so forth, but the thing that they that, that they don't do as well is is the connection between feel and intellectual stimulation. Right. They've gone a little bit more intellectual. right? And guys are showing off a lot of technique and so forth, and that's nice, Yeah. but it's got to make sense. And it's got to yeah. be, I, I like people that play to the rhythm.
3: Yes. Play to the rhythm the and play the song,
1: too. You, you feel the foundation of the rhythm all the yeah. time. Yeah. So like, like a guy that's really good at that is Stanley Turrentine.
3: Mm, love him, Someone yeah. like
1: that. You, you listen to something like that, and it, it'll make your day yeah because the feel is so great and yeah. his playing is so right connected to the rhythm yeah. that he's completely improvising and and yeah. away from the line,
3: yeah
1: now if you want to get more intellectual, you go to my favorite Sonny Rollins oh yeah, so uh like the bridge or something like that, then you really take a journey but <laughs> yeah. uh, uh but 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 all of this stuff that was going on in that period, these guys. See the thing that's missing is these guys knew those tunes so well, and I know musicians yeah. that actually were hanging out in New York with a lot of those big names. Yeah. And uh, he said, what they would do is they would sit around all the time and play the line, play yeah. the line, mm-hmm. play the line, and then they could depart from it. Right. Right. That that was in part. That was that was the structure was so in their mind that then they could uh, go away from it. But still it would be there
3: right
1: and so they they and so and and in those days you know to they were excessive because they were doing drugs and things like that but they were they were so deep into those tunes yeah that they could just really take you on this beautiful abstract journey on all these different ways of looking at that same tune
0: right right well if you love that song and you hear someone play ch- play over those changes in a melodic way that's equally as strong as the written yeah. melody it's, okay. it's Well, captivating.
1: It, it is. It's amazing yeah. what they could do spontaneously. Yeah. So and they were they were great at it yeah. those guys. They were right oh there. Goodness. And see and and a lot of people didn't even know what they were doing. Yeah. I mean they couldn't describe what they were doing. They were so much a part of it. And yeah. it took the next generation understand what they were doing so they could verbalize it and teach it yeah so they started teaching how to play in, how to improvise but that's when it got a little bit more intellectual right in fact and then we went through the va- avant-garde stage and stuff like that that didn't quite you know uh, I, I think that can go too far because uh like like one of the best records of kind of new uh, uh Kind of like uh, avant-garde stuff was the shape of jazz to come. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, That album it was on Atlantic. uh, uh, Who was the Ornette Coleman? It was Uh Ornette Coleman. The shape it's called the shape of jazz to come. Fantastic album.
2: Yeah.
1: Now after that he went into this thing called free jazz. Right. Which which was a, a, a continuation of what he was doing there. But it was in this thing where you didn't really have any structure—not not not much of a structure—and it was like uh, it's like chaos. Right. So I'm not saying that that isn't a bad uh, premise and a bad uh, emotion. It's certainly an emotion. It is certainly a feeling, but it it it's more like a uh, mood. Right. It sets a mood because it really doesn't go very far. Cause yeah. No, no four guys can get together all at once for very long.
0: <laughs> right. right.
1: So so it's, it's really pretty much sporadic and chaos. And, and it, it, that's a valid uh, chaos is a valid experience that human beings yeah. have. But yeah. I don't want 15 minutes of it. You know, right. I don't know. <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know uh, so it doesn't really take you on a, a much of a journey yeah. with variety. Yeah. It doesn't take you on a, it. It takes you into a, a mood. Yeah. It's just like what happened to Coltrane when he got into this angst thing yeah. toward the end. Yeah. Uh, by the end of his solos, he was screaming. Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah, that's a valid, but I don't want to go there all the time. You know, yeah. I mean, there's some things that might be done well, but you just don't want to go there. It's like a movie. You could go to a movie that has all the best acting, the best writing, the best everything, but if the subject matter is difficult for you, you don't want to go there. Sure. It doesn't matter how good it is.
0: Well, it's it's that it's going back to what you were talking about emotionally connecting and art. Luckily, in all of those, whether it's screaming or whether it's uh, you know beautifully thought out solos over chord changes, it's going to connect with someone somewhere because it's oh, an yeah. emotion. It's emotionally charged.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Hey, that's there's something there for everyone.
0: Is there <laughs> ever or has there ever been uh, something that comes through your doors to be mastered and you just? You cannot find a way to emotionally connect with it. And what do you do uh, then?
1: Well, uh, well, then, then, I have to resort to just wh- how to get a really good balance. Yeah. And and hear all of the elements.
2: Yeah. And
1: and make sure that they're all contributing.
2: Yeah.
1: Because because why have them if they're not yeah. if I can't hear something that's yeah. part of the the group? Yeah. If I can't hear what is contributing. Then I try to at least make it so you can uh see how well it's working with it, it you kind of get that you could kind of see that yeah how everything should work together. You might not right. want to necessarily you might not connect with it as well as some other things but yeah uh but one thing you you get to know what a good sound stage is and 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 how yeah. uh these things it, it, no matter what you do you you're always kind of making it more accessible in some way right. So that you hear all of the the elements that are contributing because they even if it's uh that free jazz they're all kind of contributing to each other in a certain way so you want to make sure that everybody is experiencing that yeah what they're trying to do so but it's a little gets a little more mechanical when it's something that doesn't really it's kind of hard for it to keep your interest
0: Well, yeah, and you can't connect with everything. I mean, it's impossible, right? We all have our own histories and emotional needs.
1: But if you you really know what a good balance is even, a spectral balance, uh, that's always gonna contribute to to uh, being able to access
0: whatever's there. That makes sense. Bernie, can you talk to us just about what a day in the life of a mastering engineer looks like? Um, Describe it for us.
1: Um, You have to realize if you're going into this business, that it has a certain amount of excess. In other words, uh, there's a lot of fanatic people, really um, uh, very ambitious people. And uh, the kind of work that I do is kind of like post-production, of course. Sure. And and so uh, I'm trying to actually get them a better connection emotionally of their music to the listener, but I'm really trying to kind of uh, uh, increase the effect of it uh, for people, so I kind of need to know what they're they're going for, to even start, to even start. But uh, what I've found is, through the years, is one of the things they like is that you're available.
3: Uh Aha, yeah.
1: Now, uh, because they've got this real, big project that they've been working on many times, yeah. and uh, so when they're ready to come in and do mastering and do final sure. touch-ups and changes and so forth, they don't want to have to wait.
3: Sure.
1: And so, I mean, uh, it's not quite as bad as it used to be, because there yeah. used to be these days where you were like working 16-hour days every day, they'd yeah. call you up in the, in the weekend and you'd be there at 2 in the morning on Sunday. Whatever. Whenever they're done, they want you there. Sure. And so you need to know that, though. Because yeah. if you're that kind of person, even if you don't get it the first time, they know you'll come in and try again. Right. So it's really important to, for them to know that you're available. Yes. And you're going to work on it until you get them what they want. Sure. So this is, this is the first advice that I give people. Oh, that if they're going to work with all the big artists, and the people that have a lot at stake and have spent yep. a lot of money and time, when they're ready to master or when they're ready to go to their next step, they don't want to hear anything like, well, gee, you know, I have to go uh, <laughs> uh, somewhere on Saturday to visit my mother or something. No, no, no. It's not going <laughs> to yeah. work. Right. It's, it's just, it, yeah, they'll accept it, but they might not ever call you again.
3: Right.
1: Uh, so, you know, you have to be careful of that kind of stuff unless you have something that, actually is so important to them that they will wait, you know, right. but you have to have that kind of reputation maybe. Sure. <laughs> so sure. all of these things are factors, especially when you're starting out. Yeah. Cause I know one of my engineers was that way. Uh, I, that was the first advice I gave him when, when he started to take over from Brian Gardner, when Brian, okay. you know, big bass, Brian was doing sure. all the hit records here and he went, he retired. Yes. But, uh, uh, so he was his assistant, and I—that's I, okay. all I told him was that just be available. Right. And he knew what to do. He—he learned a lot. He'd been in yeah. the company for twenty years, and now he's doing all the big artists. Wow. You know, but he comes in. Sometimes he's coming he's here on Sunday morning or whatever. So <laughs> yeah. you know, but but they appreciate that they they because they're like in the middle of the night just finishing up. They want to keep going. Sure. So uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, look. And that isn't even what it used to be. I mean, it was so excessive yeah. back in the, what I call the good old battle days of the 70s yeah. uh, when everybody was like, you know what? So uh, yeah. they would be up for three days on end yeah. uh, trying to get a drum sound. <laughs> right. yep. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, so they would come dragging in, you know, and, and it's like uh, it, it could be some pretty rough sound, you know, sure. because their ears were gone. But, right. you know they were just they just wouldn't give up you know they just would they just and they were using kind of artificial things to keep them going but that's sure and that was why what i mean by it was so excessive yeah. but the thing back then was that there was endless money too yeah. you know nobody the record companies would not be in your way right because if you were if you if they told you well you can't go beyond this and you have to work at this studio you have to forget it because they know that the artist is going to say you know if it's not a hit it's your fault, not yeah. my fault, because you're making <laughs> right. me work here, you're making me do this, you're make so, but now it is a different world. Uh, people are a little more budget conscious, they'd have no idea how extreme it was, yeah. because it, I can tell you my most extreme thing was uh, one of Michael Jackson's albums. Hmm. Uh, they, of course, always had endless money, yeah. and uh, way back on the album called History, Mm-hmm. They even had me fly to New York a couple of times and spent a couple of weeks there at a, at a real high end hotel, li- limos and all. I don't live like this, but, you know, yeah. uh, it was kind of fun for a while, but I couldn't wait to get back home. Yeah, but but that album uh, took um, cost about two hundred thousand dollars to master. Wow. Now I'm talking about. The airplanes and sure. the, and, the, and the staying at the hotel for weeks, right? And and, and coming back and forth, uh, having to uh, close down my mastering room. I, yeah. I I just told them I says, hey, do you realize how expensive this is going to be for me to close my room and come yeah. to New York and blah blah blah, and and they just said to me, ah, send us the bill.
0: <laughs> right.
1: That they didn't care, yeah. and that album cost twenty million to make.
0: So how does that work? If you're going to New York, or using someone else's studio to master? You're well, you so... are,
1: you are, oh. but I had the, the main new room at Sony. Okay. So I, uh, they had all, I mean, I had to go see I first went there to check out the whole system and yeah. they wanted to know if I could work there. Yeah. And uh, so I, I brought a, you know, some uh, music that I knew yeah. and I played it on their system to hear their Shit. monitors and all that kind of stuff and, and of course, of course i've I've been in it long enough to where I can get used to almost anything, yeah, so I just have to know how a good thing sounds on their monitors right, because the Take monitors some time tell to you,
0: acclimate a little bit
1: yeah, that's all, just you just have to make sure that you're going to be able to understand their monitors, even though I didn't particularly care for the personality of their monitors, because yeah. uh-huh. everything has its own kind of characteristic uh. Uh, you know, it's, it's just the way the tweeters act, and the way the the especially the high end, the way that uh, that's where you hear most of the difference. Yeah. And uh, it was fine. I mean, I didn't particularly like the personality of, but they were balanced. Right. So when I played stuff that I knew, it was it would be about where I would set it on those monitors.
3: Okay. Yeah.
1: So that was fine. So then, uh, I, I I I just I said sure. You know, I'll, I mean, look, if you want me to do it, it was Bruce Swede, though. You know yeah. i mean you don't say no to bruce sudin yeah
2: because
1: <laughs> he he, he, uh, he, uh, he did all of michael's records
2: wow so
1: i i just went over to hit factory where he was working on the album yeah and 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 i just told him i says yeah that's what that's a, that's what i told him i said this is going to cost a lot of money he says right. he didn't care he didn't care <laughs> he didn't mind. you know i mean Hey, none of those guys cared. In those the end days.
0: result was worth all those all that budget. Oh yeah, that stuff. well, that
1: was Michael. You know, you don't yeah. you don't say no to Mike, you just do sure. whatever you think you need to do. Sure. So uh,
0: Wow. Amazing. Anyway. <laughs> well, one last question. How has LA or how has Hollywood changed for good and for bad in your eyes since you first got here? Well the thing about the business is
1: is that it's not it's, it's It's more private in a certain way because so many people work out of their homes now there aren't as right. many studios right. there's not as quite as much uh, interaction with the people that were just down the street or they were yeah. just around the corner and they there were studios all over the place, and now right. there aren't
0: right
1: there's only a few main studios and uh,
0: next door to you it, for it, a long time <laughs>
1: right. yeah, yeah, yeah really i mean yeah. but uh so so it is different from that standpoint uh yeah. People, people have, uh, a lot of these mixers have had to put their own little studios in their houses. Yeah. Because they do all their mixing at home now. Right. They, they're not in the neighborhood even. They're, they're out in the valley or something in their house. Yeah. So uh, that part it, is a little different. I mean, we're, we're kind of more uh, isolated in a certain way. But people yeah. do come in and work people with us. People are Art.
0: still coming yeah. in to sit in on the sessions, make sure that. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, they do. But because, yeah. well, mastering is a little easier because it's more intimate so we only yeah. have the producer or the artist or just a couple people sure so uh so so they, they, that still happens we still oh, we still do that but but so many things now coming on files. right they're just coming over the internet and then we send them back a test and then we right. go back and forth whatever and, and try to give them whatever updates they might want but but it's uh that's made it easier for people not to go anywhere
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So,
1: but it's more that way now. And, and, of course, with this pandemic thing, it's been ridiculous. We haven't yeah. allowed, we, we, we just started allowing some people that we know really well into the studio. For mm-hmm. two years, we had nobody in the studio except us. Yeah. And we all wore masks, even around each other. Right. So uh, now we're a little looser. But, you know, I don't think it's wise to get too loose because look no. what happens. It starts yeah. ramping back up. So yeah. we're still being very careful. We, we don't here. let many, many people in. We want them to send their files and We just have to do it that way.
0: Yeah. That's smart. You so want to keep stuff, mastering all these beautiful records.
1: Yeah, but I see, but, but what I've been able to do is though so I've kind of shifted into only doing historic jazz albums for one oh. thing. I'm doing a lot of work for Concord and they oh, own all yeah. those jazz labels. Right. And so I'm starting to do it as a contemporary catalog and I'm doing a lot of, lot of really fun things for me because they're yeah. great recordings. They don't want a lot of processing. Yeah. All, I, it's only about the music when it comes uh, to jazz anyway. You know, there's no, it's not a production for, because uh, pop music is a whole different world. You know, pop yeah. music, there's different other artistic things that people are trying to do because it isn't only about music when it comes yeah. to pop music.
2: Yeah.
1: It has a lot to do with, the, with uh, theatrical things. Sure. Yeah. Nowadays, especially, there's a lot of visual stuff going yeah. on with pop music, right. and so it's a it's a, it's a, it's a different experience. It's like uh, it's entertainment for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't necessarily like music that well. It, it they like it because their friend likes it.
2: Sure.
3: It's
1: a social thing.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, it's like uh uh I you know if you really really like music, uh, you have to go to uh, something that. Uh, is, is really scaled down and it's only about the music that's where the focal point is yeah but that's a whole other world when it comes to commercial pop music it's it's a different it, it has all these other experiences embedded in there yeah and so uh so so all of those recordings have a lot of gimmicks and things to keep your right. interest to make you like 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 concerts they have big explosions and lights <laughs> and all right. this stuff flashing around that makes everyone thinks it's better than it is right. Like, I'll be watching a, something on TV, and I'm, I'm liking it, I think it's okay, you know, it's done yeah. well, they've got all this uh, uh, lights going on and all this stuff, and people running around the stage and stuff, right, but right. I'll close my eyes, and there's nothing there,
3: Yeah,
1: Music not, the same thing. not yeah. much, not much, but it needs all of that stuff sometimes, yeah. then it's a more complete experience because of the, the kind of the deficiencies of the music.
0: Well, I'm just happy to hear that you're uh, in your zone and loving getting to work on all these Concord jazz well, releases. Well, I've
1: kind of come full circle, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I started out on vinyl and now I'm still doing it. You know, <laughs> Love we, it. and we've never abandoned it. We've always uh, fooled around with it, and my tech guys and we we, we, we know a lot about disc cutting. Yeah. And so we we do everybody. We do we yeah. do all the U two stuff. We do all the uh, Pink Floyd stuff. We do all these catalogs. I we know. do all. Oh. If, they, if they want us to do vinyl, they know that our system cuts it exactly like what Listeners they
0: Listeners out there, If do yourself a favor and go look at Bernie's discography, and you will see that he's worked <laughs> on a little bit of everything and many titles you'll recognize. I keep scrolling yeah. and scrolling. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's, uh... yeah, it
1: sure adds up, doesn't it? Well, yeah, when you're, in mas- when you're in mastering, you can do like 250 albums a year. I know. So You do five albums. We used to do five albums a week. A lot of stuff surprises me too.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Some of the stuff, and no, I'm serious. Yeah. I don't realize some of the stuff because I do so many uh, over 55 years. I've done so many albums, I've forgotten yeah. some of them.
0: I'm sure. I can't, I can't imagine how you'd keep track of all that. It's amazing. I don't.
1: I mean, yeah. I, I, in some ways, <laughs> and I don't have copies of everything. Yeah. You know, I, you get so wrapped up in this thing, you don't even think about asking for a copy, and now you don't have it.
3: Right.
0: right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, i am so so uh grateful that you came on my my podcast today thanks so much for being here and i want to just give an extra uh mention of thanks to chase and jack and paul for helping lining this up you for taking the time and uh just on a personal level i want to thank you and my dad and jack goldfarb for just having great jazz records around all the time growing up for paul and daryl and all these guys on our block growing up to listen to yeah well
1: that's the whole thing i i remember you as little kids yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know
0: i was once a little kid now i'm a big kid with a big gray beard (laughs)
1: it's it's great to see though that everybody's kind of grown up and is kind of into what they like yes involved in what they like to do you know that's really important yeah oh yeah really because that'll carry you yeah absolutely yeah, uh, well
0: thanks thanks so much for taking the time, Bernie. I so appreciate it.
1: Yeah, well great. Well, no, I I hope this thing keeps expanding for you because Thank you. this is a good way. This is a good 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 kind of thing to be doing, I think, cuz I, I think yeah. a lot of people really want to know the inside story on a lot of these things.
0: Um, well, and you're the perfect person too cuz like a lot of your story that you uh, shared with us today is just I want to learn how do I do this? So you you learn by asking the people who have done it yeah so thanks for sharing all that you do with us today and thanks for talking to me
1: okay yeah nice talking to you too
0: all right bernie send my love to claire
1: okay very good bye-bye
0: okay bye all right hope you enjoyed this episode of the conduit the conduit is brought to you by crew s studio and dan Many thanks to the folks at Squadcast, Polymash, Captivate, We Edit Podcasts, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Sure, and Avid. Extra special thanks to my brothers from Other Mothers, Scott Power and Bill Coulter. And last but not least, go check out Soul Picnic, my handpicked music playlist on notrealart.com. Until next time, this is Dan Ubick signing off.